Hey, but before we get started, Kathy reminded me of something. And so, John, let me know if I'm if we're on board with this. Uh, that we're going to have a candlelight service with oh, yes. on uh, Christmas Eve, right? Yep. 7 p.m. Yep. And uh, so 7 p.m. candlelight service right here. Bring cookies. I prefer chocolate. <laughs> yeah, you want to go the extra yard chocolate, chocolate chip. And uh, but uh, and then so we'll have some good fellowship and just a good time. And then we're going to have our Sunday service, which will be Christmas service. So. And uh, so maybe you can, yeah, if it turns on, I wouldn't even know how to turn it off. So if you can just pass it on to it's Kathy's. Yeah, thanks a million. Okay. All right, if you open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we started our message on substitutionary death of Christ last week after we finished the, the virgin birth. and um, But we just need to go into a little more depth on that. And then it's, it's what's going to be really good is this communion Sunday. So I'll try to remember to end a little earlier. And because communion, we celebrate and remember the substitutionary death of Christ, his body broken for us, his blood shed for us. So, uh, so hopefully... Uh, uh, you know, the sermon will will just move right into uh, the, the Lord's Supper there. And so as you're turning, to, we're going to just look at that passage in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3 again. And um, as you're turning the page, let's go to the Lord in prayer one more time that, that uh, uh, he anoints me to preach his word today. Father, in Jesus' precious name, there's just so many things going on, so many stressful things throughout the week and trying to, you know, pay the bills and and do a good job at work and things of that sort. And then, and then problems with our relationships with family members and things of that sort. And just one thing after another. And these, these things distract us from you. And so I pray, Lord, that you would help us through the power of your spirit to focus today and to think about and to remember and to celebrate the substitutionary death of the Lord Jesus Christ, that he died as our substitute. He took our punishment for us on the cross of Calvary. And so I pray, Lord, that uh, you would anoint me as I read Scripture and explain Scripture. I pray that you would anoint me with your spirit, that you would fill me and control me. Because the people that are here today, I know these people. And they love you, and they love your word, and they're sick and tired of fake news. They're sick and tired of false teachings. They're also sick and tired, Lord, as am I, of watering down your truth and living and speaking for the applause of man. They're tired of that. They want to hear your truth, and you've called sinful men to proclaim your perfect word, imperfect men to proclaim your perfect truth, fallible men to proclaim your infallible word. And so I pray, Lord, please, that uh, I would get out of the way, that you would cancel the man, and that you would uh, enable me, empower me by your spirit to proclaim your truth so I would not lead anyone astray. Give us all the courage to test all things that we hear, even when we hear from Christian brothers and sisters, to test all things with your word, for your word is the final authority. And then empower us by your spirit to apply these things to our lives. We love you, Lord. Just help us to love you more and be with us. As you were with us in the praise and worship and the prayer, and you'll be with us in our fellowship, be with us in the preaching of your word today. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. You know, I, I, don't, know about, I don't know about you, but I, I think you know, some of you probably go through stuff that I go through, and sometimes you get, you get tired, you get weary. Maybe there's some out there, some of you that are, that are lonely, that are hurting, and you, you start your day and you... You just go about things and you wonder, gee, is there 
any hope and you feel down and all, okay? And the trials of life just, just, just bring you down. Um, when you're hurting, just remind yourself. Just tell yourself, my king died for me. Okay? You can, if you're a Buddhist, you can't say that. Okay? If you're a Hindu, you can't say that. If you're a Jew who's rejected Jesus as your Messiah and Savior, you know, you can't say because he's not your king. You got to submit to the king. You got to turn to him for salvation. But if you're trusting in Jesus for salvation, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how bad your neighbors treat you or your coworkers or your bosses. It doesn't matter how bad your culture treats you or your government treats you, okay? We have a king, and he is good, and he is all-powerful, and he is infinite, and he loves you, and he loves me, and our king, the king of kings, died for us. So this is, if you detach Christianity from the substitutionary death of Christ, you have no Christianity, okay? Everybody wants the good news of Sunday and the resurrection, and we want to ignore what humans would call the bad news of a brutal, shameful, torturous death on a Friday night. You know, Jesus became one of us, and you can, I think we ought to interpret human existence and human history and all through Jesus. And even look at him. You know, we want the glory, but we don't want the suffering. Where our king came because there was no other way for us to be saved, and he died on the cross for our sins. That's why Paul, when he's talking about the gospel in 1 Corinthians 15, he starts at verse 1 Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel. The gospel, the good news, which I preached to you, which also you received, and in which you stand, by which also you are saved. So the gospel is the good news that saves. Okay? Let me repeat that. The gospel is the good news that saves. Well, what does the gospel talk about? What is this good news? If you hold fast that which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain... Here comes the good news. For I delivered to you first of all, and that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. And then it says, and then he was buried, rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and then he appeared to many different people on many different occasions. The death, burial, resurrection, and appearances of Jesus Christ, that is the gospel. And you can get more in-depth, okay, you can talk about more things, add more factors to it, but that's the core of the gospel. We already talked about, well, who is Jesus? Well, he's God the Son become a man, okay? We also see that the proclamation of faith in the early church, they would say, Christ has died, Christ is risen, and then Christ will come again. In a few weeks, we'll talk about that. This planet, you know, there's a, there's a lot of people on this planet that think they're gods, think they own the planet. They want to control every little thing we do. Multi-billionaires, powerful people. And they think Jesus is some irrelevant Jewish guy that died 2,000 years ago, and now he has nothing to do with planet Earth again. When we move forward, we'll see. Christ has died. He died for our sins. Christ is risen. He conquered the grave for us. But Christ will come again. And I'm, I'm sure if you played uh, this sermon to some of the powerful people in the world, you know who they are. I name them all the time. And, uh, you know, you got one guy in the White House. I don't know. Well, I don't want to talk about that. But the guy in the White House. I mean, everybody gets old, so I don't want to make fun of the guy. But, uh, but you played this for some powerful people, and they'd probably laugh. And they say, no, you want to see power, you look at me. 
When I want to see power, I look in the mirror. When you want to see power, you look in the face of Jesus, our King. But when you want to see love, you look in the face of Jesus, our King. C.S. Lewis, I'm paraphrasing here. Uh, I can say it as good as him. I would have wrote all those books. Um, but he said he is good, but he is not tame. And there's a lot of powerful people on planet Earth. They think that if Jesus ever came back, to be a tame Jesus. Let me tell you, he came the first time, born in a manger. But when he's coming back, like uh, with the with the shepherds and like Chris was saying, none of the, no big catastrophes, isn't that? Yeah, wait till the second coming. <laughs> then it's just like uh, he's going to return in all his glory. But this is the gospel that Jesus died for us. Too often we confuse our acceptance of the gospel with the gospel. You know, we tell people, just ask Jesus into your heart. Well, what in the world does that mean? You know, break it down. You're a sinner. You can't save yourself. Jesus died on the cross for your sins took your punishment for you. If you don't trust in him for salvation, you'll be lost forever. Okay, but preach the whole gospel, the death, resurrection, and the return uh, of the Lord Jesus Christ. We say, this is why John said, John 129, behold, when he saw Jesus, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. You know, they had slaughtered what? Millions? maybe billions, I don't know. All the lambs that they had slaughtered in animal sacrifices. And the Jews knew bloodshed of animals didn't take away sins. John the Baptist could point at Jesus and say, that's him. That's the lamb. The lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Um... And uh, look at 1 Peter 2.24. 1 Peter, the Apostle Peter, wrote First and Second Peter. 1 Peter 2.24. He's talking about Jesus. And Peter says this, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. And so that's telling us that Jesus, when he died on the cross, he didn't die for himself. He didn't die for himself. He died for you. He died for me. He died for all mankind. Because God is so just, he cannot allow us into heaven unless our sin has been paid for in full. The good news is this. You don't have to go to the eternal lake of fire and suffer forever and ever and ever for your sin because Jesus paid the price already. Okay? And, uh, uh, And so Peter tells us he bore our sins. He didn't have any sins himself. He bore our sins in his body on the tree and uh, in order to save us, 1 Peter 3.18, same book, next chapter. For Christ also suffered once for all, the just for the unjust. You realize, you know, when you read passages like this, say, wow, I'm mentioned in the Bible. And it make you feel good, you're mentioned in the Bible. And it's, it's not the just. That's Jesus. You and me, we're the unjust. And again, my king died for me. You think Joe Biden's going to die for you? Yeah, no, I, I mean, you get, you get a lot of politicians out there, they say they love us, and then they go betray us to our enemies, and they make millions and millions of dollars, and they, they make Italian crime families I used, to, I used to say our government is so corrupt, like a mafia crime family. 
Well, if you're in a mafia crime family and you're listening to this sermon, I apologize to you. Um, because as bad as you are, the government is worse than that. Okay? The corruption is just off the charts. But you think our leaders are going to die, are willing to die for us? But there is a king. He's the king of all. And he will return to take back what rightly belongs to him because he won it through his death and resurrection. So no matter how bad you get, no matter how many people mock you, mistreat you, you remember you're loved by the, the only one who really matters. He loved you so much he died on the cross for your sins. But there we are in the Bible, the unjust. For Christ also suffered once once for sins, the just, that's Jesus, the perfect one, for the unjust, that's us, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive, resurrected by the Spirit. Okay? And so again, Jesus died, the just one was punished in our place. Jesus died on the cross for our sins, and he took our punishment for us and died in our place. And... um and you might think, well, wait a minute, though. This is, how would the Jews know that? They thought their Messiah was going to come and conquer. Look at Isaiah 53, the Old Testament Jewish prophet Isaiah, 700 years before Jesus walked the earth, told us that Jesus was going to die, a the Messiah would come and would die a substitutionary death for our sins. So Isaiah 53 He's talking about the Messiah. Isaiah says, who has believed our report? He knows most of the Jews are going to reject it. But Isaiah 53 and verse 5, but he was wounded for what? He was wounded for our transgressions. He was buried for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. So Peter is even quoting from this passage. But you see that Jesus was wounded for our sins and bruised for our sins. He died for us, not for himself. Verse 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity, the sin of us all. So it was right there in the Old Testament. The prophet Isaiah said, hey, by the way, when Messiah comes, He's going to die for your sins. Why is that important? That's important because a holy God cannot fellowship with sin. We deserve hell. But Messiah will come. and He will be the Savior of mankind, and he will die on the cross for the sins of mankind. Uh, look a little further in Isaiah 53, verse 8. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who will declare his generation? You know, he didn't have kids, for he was cut off from the land of the living. He, he was killed. Why? For the transgressions of my people he was stricken. He died for our sins, okay? And by the way, when I'm reading this passage, you say, well, the Jews interpret that differently. Yes, if you tell them where you're getting it from. But I remember CNN back in the 1980s took the most irritable reporter they had. Guy was a Christian brother, but I, could, I wouldn't be able to spend 10 minutes with the guy. And um, they put him on the streets of Jerusalem, and he'd read Isaiah 53, and he'd stop people, and he'd hold the microphone up to them and ask them, who's that talking about? And they'd say, oh, that's easy. That's Jesus of Nazareth. And then he'd say, well, you realize I'm, I'm quoting from one of your Old Testament prophets in your Bible prophet Isaiah, 700 years before Jesus walked the earth. And then they'd get mad at him and say, well, then it's not Jesus, and they'd storm away. And uh, so, I mean, it, it, it's, it's a no-brainer, okay? Uh, Edith Schaefer did this to a guy. She was visiting, I think, a dentist or a medical doctor, and his son, first-year college student, so he was convinced he knew everything, uh, came home on a visit with a friend. He was trying to impress his friend by answering all of Edith Schaefer's questions. And they were Jewish, and he was answering all of Edith Schaefer's questions. And so then she read Isaiah 53. She said, who's that about? He said, that's easy. That's about Jesus. And then it dawned on him, 
it's not supposed to be about Jesus. And so he just put his head in his hands. And so, um, no, this is 700 years before he walked the earth. Don't give up. Don't give up on, on King Jesus. If you believe in him, he won't give up on you. And anytime you start to doubt, you remember, we know for sure, Dead Sea Scrolls, the ancient uh, Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament, that was all done before Christ. There's no way you can hide from the fact that all these Old Testament were pr predictions were made hundreds of years before Jesus walked the earth. And so here, Isaiah 53, what does it tell us about Jesus? It tells us that uh, when Messiah comes, he will die a substitutionary death for us. He'll die in our place. He'll die for our sins. Verses 10 to 12 in Isaiah 53. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. Uh, he has put him to grief when you make his soul an offering for sin. Jesus' death on the cross was an offering to God the Father for our sin. He shall see his seed. So even though his generation was cut short, he didn't get married and have kids, he's going to have a spiritual seed. And then it says he shall prolong his days. There's a guy in his, in his room right now, when he was eight years old, and they brought the Dead Sea Scrolls to Seattle. And I read this. I said, wait a minute. It says Messiah gets cut off from the land of the living, but then it says that, you know, because they had the Dead Sea Scroll up there, and they had the English translation, but it says, but then it says God's going to prolong Messiah's days. How can God prolong the days of Messiah if Messiah gets killed? And the little eight-year-old boy, my grandson, Nathan, said, by raising him from the dead. Because I didn't know who was behind us. And then, then, we, and then, then they, that group left. They could have been Christians. They could have been Jewish. I didn't know. And then the next group came up. So I repeated the question. So at that point, he thought I was a, a nut. But whatever the case, this is, this is plain. This is talking about not only the death of Christ, but his resurrection. Verse 11, he shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities, die on the cross for our sins, and will be declared righteous through faith in him. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. He prayed, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. So even in the Old Testament, this is why, this is why Paul could say that Christ, the gospel is that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, according to the Old Testament scriptures that he was buried, that he rose again on the third day. What? According to the Old Testament scriptures. And, uh, but never, you know, if anybody is out there saying uh, that you can be saved through any other way than through the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, that's heresy. God has provided one Savior and one way of salvation, and that through that Savior's death on the cross uh, for our sins. Um, look at 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. 2 Corinthians ch chapter 5, verse 21. You know, we're going to receive communion today. The reason why we receive communion, because it's like, you know, when you're teaching little kids, Kim, you know this, they learn not just by listening, but by doing. And we're just a bunch of little kids who, in the eyes of the world, grew up. In the eyes of God, we're probably still little kids. And, and it's was, it was like God said, hey, if I don't give them something to do, they're going to forget all about me. They're going to forget Calvary. They're going to forget the wooden cross that my son died on. They're going to forget Jesus. Let me give them something to do, not just something to read the scriptures and to obey. Let me give them something to do so they'll never, ever, ever forget Calvary. And so 
You know, I mean, that's the first application when it comes to death to Christ. Don't forget it. Don't forget that Jesus died in your place. You know, when I have a bad day, I'm like, I deserve to be forsaken by God. I deserve to burn in hell forever. True. But my king died for me. My king took my punishment for me. You know, and then that, that doesn't mean, okay, good, I got a green light. I'll just keep going on sinning. No, it means 2 Corinthians 5.15, he died for us. We need to live for him. And uh, if we're grateful, we'll live for King Jesus who died for us. But 2 Corinthians 5.21, for he, that's God the Father, made him, God the Son, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. See, Jesus took our sin on the cross. It's called the doctrine of imputation. Our sin was credited to Jesus' account. He took our punishment for us. When we trust in Jesus for salvation, his righteousness is credited to our account. So our account right now, how righteous is Phil Fernandez in his standing before God right now? Absolute perfection. Why? Because when God looks at me, he sees the righteousness of Christ. Now, in practice, how does my righteousness look before God? I think we're a lot closer to the filthy rags uh, that Isaiah talks about. Our righteousness is filthy rags before the Lord. So hopefully, you know, um, I think when I got saved, the first two years after being saved while I was in the Marine Corps, I still had a foul mouth. But my fellow Marines knew I wasn't hitting anybody anymore. You know, I wasn't getting drunk. I wasn't, and they saw the change. So I'm not so concerned. Okay, does this guy look like he's sinless if he claims to be saved? But I, I like to know, hey, where was he when he got saved and where is he now? And if you can't tell the difference, don't be sharing your testimony with people. Okay? We want them to actually believe that Jesus does change lives because he does. And if he hasn't changed your life, James says, ah, don't tell me you have faith. Show me. Show me with your works. And uh, But whatever the case, we have that perfect righteous standing because we're covered with the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is Yahweh Sidkenu, according to Jeremiah 23, 5 and 6. The Lord our righteousness. And then as we are on our journey with the Lord after being saved, we progressively, we get sanctified. We become more and more set apart for God's holy purposes. So we need to start moving in the right direction. It should be a very holy man, a very holy lady. They're going to be people who outwardly, if you spy on them, you probably wouldn't be able to catch them. You can spy on them for a whole week. You can't catch them in sin. But then if you stop them and say, hey, you went a whole week without sinning, they would say, boy, I'm glad you can't read my mind. So godly people right now, until we meet Jesus face to face and we're changing the twinkling of an eye, okay, uh, you're going to battle sin. Godly people battle sin in the realm of the mind. They don't let it come out in their speech and in their actions. And um, But then don't go around. I'm telling you, don't go around and say, yeah, I've arrived, man, a spiritual giant. Because then, you know, Satan demanded or at least requested to sift Peter like wheat. You think you got an exception from that? An exemption? And for, for me, you know, it's probably not Satan that's going before God's throne and saying, hey, I want to sift Phil Fernandez like wheat. It's probably some lower level demon, okay? I'm telling you, you know, and I tell people, God bless you and be safe. And what I mean, everybody thinks I'm talking about COVID. I'm actually talking about be safe from the government. But technically, we're not safe. Even if people treat us nice, the spiritual forces of wickedness, they want to sift us like wheat. We're the salt of the earth. We're the light of the world, the Bible says. We share the light of Jesus in the darkness of the world. 
When salt loses its saltiness, what's it good for? To be trampled on by men. Satan wants me and wants you. He wants to sift us like wheat. He wants us trampled on by men. We, through Jesus' death on the cross and our, and our trusting in him, now we have the righteousness of Christ. He, took, he died for our sins, and now we have the righteousness of Christ. We need to start living that way. We need to live for Jesus. He died for us, as verse 15, um, 2 Corinthians 5 said. And we don't have time to turn there, but in 1 Corinthians 5, 7, Paul says that Jesus, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. So just as the Jews of the 10th plague, they were passed over for judgment when the angel of death killed the firstborn child, firstborn son in each of the Egyptian households, the Jews sacrificed the Passover lamb that had to be without blemish, Jesus was without sin, and could have no broken bones, okay? And Jesus' bones were not broken. Um, that's why they pierced his side. Uh, but they took the blood of the Passover lamb and put it on the doorpost so the angel of death would pass over their house and they'd be saved. When we trust in Jesus, the blood of the lamb, the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, our Passover lamb, Jesus was crucified on the Passover day, the Passover feast. When we trust in Jesus, the, by the blood of the lamb, the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, we're passed over for judgment, okay? And uh, uh, now, so basically, Jesus died on the cross for our sins. He took our punishment and died in our place. A secondary thing we need to note is uh, that Jesus defeated Satan and his demons. Look at Colossians chapter 2. Paul's letter to the Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 to 15 See, remember, when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, God told them, look, he told us, the, the woman, you know, I'm going to put hatred between you, your seed, and the serpent seed, Satan's seed. And then the serpent is going to bruise his heel, the seed of the woman, but the seed of the woman, a he, will crush the head of the serpent. Okay. So it was predicted a savior would come and would suffer, but would defeat Satan and his works. And, uh, and so Colossians 2, 13 to 15, and you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made alive together with him, having forgiven all your trespasses, all your sins, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, the requirements of the law, which was contrary to us. He, was take, he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed principalities and powers. That's the high-ranking fallen angelic beings. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. In the ancient world in which Paul was writing this, uh, when you defeated another nation in battle, you would parade the prisoners of war. And people would probably throw garbage at them. It would be a parade. It would be a spectacle, and you'd laugh and you'd mock at the, um, um, the prisoners of war that you brought. I mean, if guys' clothes were all torn and he was almost naked, and somebody said, well, should we put some clothes on him? No. You want to embarrass these guys. Okay? Um, I'm telling you, Our king has embarrassed and shamed the most powerful entities that this world has ever seen. They declared war on God, and by doing so, they declared war on the human race. And through his death and resurrection, King Jesus has won. Okay? You know, I watch, like, Raider games. You... You, uh, there's a, at least three guys here that we need, uh, need some, uh, counseling. Yeah. And, um, but I watched the Raiders just blow a 16 to three lead in, in a three minute period of time and lose the game. And, you know, you're in the battle and you're screaming for your team and this and that, and you don't know how it's going to turn out. Okay. We tell you, let me tell you something. 
We're in a battle right now. But if you're a true believer, you know how it turns out. You know King Jesus wins. And, um, and so we should never forget his death on the cross um, for our sins. Uh, he took our punishment for us and died in our place, and he defeated Satan and his demons. He paid the price for our sins to the Father's justice, not to Satan. Some people think he paid the price to Satan, and you know Satan put us in a cage, and then Jesus paid the price to Satan, and Satan opened the door and let us out. God doesn't owe Satan a dime, okay? Jesus had to pay the price to God's justice, okay? And, um, you know, Mark 10, 45, uh, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. He paid the price for our sins. Uh, look at 1 Corinthians 6, 20. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 20. And Paul just got done saying, don't get involved in sexual immorality. Uh, our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit whom, whom we have from God and we are not our own. We don't belong to ourselves. And in verse 20 of 1 Corinthians 6, for you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Jesus on the cross paid the price for your sins. You know, and he's, he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He didn't have to say, well, I'm going to allow, I'm going to go through suffering at the hands of my little teeny-weeny creations. But he did that. And he did that because he loves us. And, um, and he paid the ransom price for our sins. He did not pay it to Satan. God owes Satan nothing. Also, Jesus did set a good example for us on the cross. Uh, an example of, of, of humility and putting others' needs before his own. That's what Paul talks about, Philippians 2, 5 to 11. But Paul is not saying that's the main reason why Jesus died. So you get some people who act like Jesus died on the cross just to set a good example for us. Be willing to die for what is right. Be willing to suffer for others, die for others. Uh, be willing to put others' needs before your own. Yeah, those are all implications of the gospel. That's not the gospel. The gospel is the Lord Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins and for my sins. He paid the penalty for our sins. And uh, so he did more than just setting a good example for us. So why did Jesus die? He died on the cross for our sins. He took our punishment for us and died in our place. And then he defeated Satan and his demons. Now I want to close uh, with two more passages, and then I'll turn it over to John for the Lord's Supper. But look at Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. We'll take from verse 20 through 26. You know, a lot of times we think, well, why have your own son sacrificed for us? Why didn't God just choose another way? Look, there was no other way. Jesus said, if possible, let this cup of suffering pass from me, but not my will, but your will be done. There is no other way for us to be saved for God's justice to be satisfied and then allow the unjust into heaven. Romans chapter 3, verse 20. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, by the works of the law, no flesh, no one will be justified, declared righteous in his sight, in God's sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. See, the law doesn't save us. The law shows us God's holy standards. And then when we try to keep God's holy standards in our own strength, we fall short. So the law reveals God's holiness to us, but it also reveals our sinfulness and our need for a Savior. That's why Paul in Galatians 3.24 could say that the law was a substitute teacher to lead us to Christ. 
So the law makes us conscious of our own sin and conscious of our need for a Savior. Verse 21, now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed. See, if we can't save ourselves by the law, is there any other way to attain the righteousness of God that will allow us into heaven? Yes, there is. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. The Old Testament testified to that. We saw that in the book of Isaiah. Even the righteousness of God, how? Through works? No, through faith in Jesus Christ. To all and on all who believe. For there is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Being justified, being declared righteous freely by God's grace, by his grace, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Redemption means you get you set someone free by paying the price. It's like Jesus bought us off the slave market and then set us free. Okay? Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that in Christ that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation, an atonement, a satisfaction, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate what? His righteousness. God demonstrates his justice to the world through Jesus' death to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate, again, to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, his justice, that he might be just and yet somehow be the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. See, there was no other way for God to remain just and to justify the unjust unless somebody paid the price for the unjust. I'm going to show you it couldn't be just anybody, even a perfect man. If that's all Jesus was, was a perfect man, that would not be enough. It would not be a worthy enough sacrifice. It's got to be more than a perfect man. We'll, we'll, we'll look at that um, in just a minute. But what Romans 3, 20 to 26 is telling us, God demonstrates how just he is by Jesus' death on the cross. How just is God? God is so just that the only way he could save the unjust was by having his son slaughtered in a shameful way by his creation. When you look at Jesus on the cross, you got to say, wow, God is that just. I guess the God of Islam and the God of present-day Judaism, those Jews who reject Jesus, I guess, I guess their God isn't that just. He just sweeps, sweeps in under the rug. Not the God of the Bible. It's been paid for. It's been paid. My sins have been paid for. They've been paid for in full. Your sins have been paid for. They've been paid for in full when the Lord Jesus Christ hung on the cross on a hill called Calvary. God demonstrates his own justice in that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. Look at Romans 5, starting at verse 6. For when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Look, we're mentioned in the scriptures again. We're the ungodly. But scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own justice? No. Now here, but God demonstrates his own love toward us. Romans 3, God demonstrated his justice toward us by Jesus dying on the cross for our sins. That's how just God is. He cannot forgive sin unless it's been paid for in full. But God, here it's God's love that he demonstrates. But God demonstrated his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. So the coming wrath, eternal lake of fire. He didn't just save us now, he saves us forever. Verse 10, for if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God, peace was made with God. If when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, now we're friends. 
we shall be saved by his life. So we're not just saved by Jesus' death on the cross. We're kept saved and protected and preserved through his resurrection life, okay? But here, what we're finding out here is that not only did God demonstrate his justice, how just he is by dying on the cross for our sins, but he also demonstrated how much he loves us. I'm telling you, when you I'm, I'm a philosopher. When you study philosophy, the only game in town is monotheism. Everything else philosophically falls by the wayside. If you're really going to deal with the real problem of evil and looking for a solution, you've got to go to monotheism. If you really want to look at the existence of the world and the continuing existence, it's monotheism, the belief in one personal creator God. Okay? And so the, the big three religions and the only game in town, Islam, Judaism, and Christianity. The present state of Judaism, they've rejected Christ. Okay? Well, let me tell you, when you put those, those three up against each other, okay, the God of Christianity is more loving and more just than the God of Islam and the God of apostate, fallen away, Judaism. Because in Islam and the fallen state of Judaism, God doesn't become a man and die for us. How just is God? God is so just, he had to slaughter his son in our place to allow us into heaven. How loving is God? God is so loving that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. So we who deserve hell could receive the free gift of salvation and could receive heaven. And, um, and so I just want to close with this. It's what I call the logic of salvation, why God the Son became a man. Okay? Well, the Bible, and I'm just going to run through it. I can get you a copy of this later if you want. It's in the uh, Christian Worldview booklets. It's also in the New Members Training booklets. Okay? Um, the logic of salvation. Point number one, God loves us. Because God loves us, he doesn't force his love on us. You can't force your love on somebody. Okay? Love gives people the freedom to accept or reject that love. So God loves us. He doesn't force his love on us. He gave us the freedom to accept or reject his love, and we rejected God's love and rebelled against him in the garden. Okay? And so now we're fallen. Well, point number two, God is totally just. Because he's totally just, the punishment has to fit the crime. Because he's totally just, he must judge and punish all sin. He cannot have fellowship with sin. He cannot even forgive sin unless it's been paid for in full. God cannot forgive sin unless it's been paid for in full. Now, all sin, even the smallest sin, is rebellion against God. And who is God? He is the ultimately worthy being. That's why we worship him. Okay? All sin, even the smallest sin, is rebellion against God. So all sin earns the ultimate in punishment, hell, eternal separation from God. So if there's going to be a substitute sacrifice, the substitute sacrifice has to be more than just a perfect man. The substitute sacrifice has to be ultimately worthy. The substitute sacrifice has to be God. However, a substitute sacrifice, just like any sacrifice, has to be able to die. And God, as God, can't die. Okay? Point number three, once again, God loves us. Because he loved us, he sent his ultimately worthy son, God the Son, he sent his ultimately worthy son to become a man, to become our substitute sacrifice. He punished his son in our place. So God can now, he is free to forgive us of our sins because Jesus paid the price. Yet, because he loves us, he will not force his love and forgiveness on us. So we have the freedom to accept or reject God's love and forgiveness 
by accepting or rejecting Jesus as Savior. Point number four, God is all-powerful. He conquered death, man's greatest enemy, by raising Jesus from the dead. And Jesus' resurrection guarantees the resurrection to life of all believers, all who are in Christ. Point number five, therefore the substitute sacrifice had to be God for the substitute sacrifice had to be ultimately worthy. And point number six, the substitute sacrifice had to be a man to represent man and also to be able to die for our sins. So why did God the Son become a man and die on the cross for our sins? Because there was no other way for us to be saved. Now I think this is very logical and it explains the dilemma we're going through as humans and the solution to the problem. And so I think that Christianity is theologically, biblically, philosophically, historically, I mean, every possible way, uh, it is the by far the most coherent, consistent, and the only true faith, okay? Yet a lot of people would see that and laugh. And you can, you can reason with people. You can proclaim the truth. You can't force them to believe. I don't even think God forces them to believe. And so what we're going to do in a few minutes is a lot of people will laugh at us. You know, for all I know, Bill Gates would laugh at me. You know? Um, what we're going to do, we're going to celebrate the broken bread and the fruit of the vine. Remember, Jesus loved us so much that he allowed his body to be broken for us and his blood to be shed for us. Let the world laugh. Let the world ridicule us, okay? Why? Because we know the truth. And what is the truth? Christ has died. He died on the cross for our sins. Christ has died. Christ is risen. And Christ will, not might. Christ will come again. Good job.